What a beautiful morning to worship our God. I really appreciate that. I think I might be pinning myself down when I say that joke went over my head, but I didn't even hear the joke. I thought the joke was going to be on Dusty because I was talking to Dennis and we put the microphone down for Dusty like this. So that's what I thought everyone was laughing about, but I, I, I must have missed it. Anyway, I think I'm a hair taller. <laughs> All right. So this morning, I want to say very quickly how glad I am that we are worshiping our God. And I also want to say good morning to Mr. and Mrs. Hudson. So I'm glad that um, Sawyer and, and Elizabeth had a beautiful, beautiful wedding day yesterday, and so many of us were able to rejoice with them. And so we're grateful for moments like this. Um, this morning, this goes in line with what we were talking about from last Sunday about the burdens that we have. And unbeknownst to me, when I was thinking of the sermon for this weekend, going through this, a tornado comes through Nashville. I mean, I, this sermon was before that concept of what I had in mind. And so when this took place, that was bad enough. Part of the reason was because Last week when we were dealing with our burdens, I could not help but have Andy and Kathy Barrent on my heart. And for those of you that don't know Andy and Kathy, that short, very, very short article does not do justice um, to the relationship that I have with them. Even if we, we don't stay in contact regularly like many others do, it's just, that's me. I, I don't, I'm not very good at communication from that standpoint. We've never lost a love for one another. And, and um, I think in the wedding, after the wedding was done, um, Elizabeth's maid of honor had spoken how you can just pick up right where you leave off. That's our relationship. And so Julie and I went to Tupelo to a hospital and saw Andy and Kathy spent the day, um, the good portion of the day there and left later that night. And it wasn't until the following day and a half that they got the word that they were actually dreading but expecting. Andy has... Uh, stage four pancreatic cancer. It is inoperable. And when I was thinking of the sermon along the lines of, of grief, I could not imagine just the shock, the dismay that Kathy, as a wife to her husband of, what, 43 or so years, um, would endure. Um, and if you know Kathy, Kathy is probably... You talk about touchy-feely. She is very touchy-feely type of person. She cannot just say hi to you. She'll give you a hug. She'll give you a kiss. Um, she's very loving that way. And so as some of you had read the article um, by Heather, their daughter, that night when Kathy was in bed, um, she woke up crying or in bed in the hospital room at the couch near the bed, woke up crying and sobbing over the fact that you know, she's going to be losing her husband who she just cannot live without. And some of you are resonating already with what I'm saying. Uh, I cannot help but look at Shirley. I cannot help because how much she loves her gym and how much Shirley would understand what Kathy is going through right now. The thing is that in the midst of all of this, Andy strokes her hair, striving to comfort her, If he gets singing, it is what, with my soul. Amen. 
That's the kind of life and conviction you can have in Christ. That you can grieve well. You can grieve. Grieving is a natural thing. It's a wonderful thing. It's part of human life. Because when you love someone, you cannot stand departing from whoever it is that you love. It doesn't have to be in death. It can be leaving for college. In some cases, it might be that you're going to go get mail and then your children are crying because you're leaving the house for about 30 seconds. <laughs> like the little Davis girls growing up <laughs> did enough times. You, you just, there's just part of life. And you go through moments that are naturally grievous moments. And so this sermon is extremely short, but it's one that I want you to see that is very biblical as to how we can in fact grieve well and why we can grieve well and what we see as a template of those who grieved well. And I'm only going to use Jesus as this example, but just note this. In Ecclesiastes 3, you know the, the passage where it is a time to be born and a time to die, a time to laugh and a time for sorrow and so on. It just goes on and on. Those extremes are the realities of life, you know? We rejoice when there is birth and we cry when there is death. We rejoice when there is a marriage and we cry when there is a divorce. We rejoice when, when a child is able to grow up and have this independence and they get their driver's license and they cross in this threshold of an adult-like living and then we grieve when our grandparents or our parents are the ones who taught us how to drive and now they're no longer able to drive and their license has been taken away. These are just realities of life that take place every single day. And so when we're looking at this life, I want you to see that it is a good thing for us to open our hearts up and the emotions that we have when it comes to rejoicing just as it is when we grieve that we can open up our hearts and let those moments happen. Um, if Zach doesn't mind, I'll share this little time that we spent early this week. So we went up on Wednesday into Nashville, knowing that we were gonna go up into the city and, and assess the damage of what was going on. And before that, we decided to meet up in Nashville. So we went to T-Palm and we had our preacher type meeting that we're doing every week. And, and as we were discussing some things, we went from, from one emotion of, okay, here's the work and here's what we can do and how we can encourage our brethren to now what's going on here in our city. And, and Zach broke down. And he cried because the loss is very personal to him. And as, as noted, he showed me where his, his grandmother's auntie's house is located. And I took photos of that of the house and just the devastation, all the memories flooding back from him riding the bike down that road to the memories of what's going on in that house, in that area, and just life. And it wore heavy on him. It's a natural part of life. Next morning, I'm at Brookdale, and before we started our Bible study, we're talking about some things and I, it, somehow all the flood of emotions started coming to me, unexpected. 
these are moments that they happen. You, you don't prepare for them. You don't sign up for the range of emotions. On the flip side, I, I'm looking at Elizabeth on her beautiful wedding day, and, and all of a sudden, I felt like a daddy looking at my daughter. And I couldn't help but get choked up in seeing this young, beautiful lady getting married. These are just part of life. And so at some point, we're all going to grieve. Things that we think are important to us, things that are of great value and weight to us in our lives. And the same was true for our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. There are multiple occasions. In fact, there's a fourth occasion uh, um, written in the book of Hebrews that I had never, ever really stuck with me. I just glanced over and read it many times, not even actually pertaining to him, Hebrews 5 or 7, if you want to read it. But it's just these passages that just come out in light of this sermon that I would have otherwise glossed over. When Lazarus died and word gets through from Martha, from Mary, and, and others that are with them, they're all grieving, right? Mary comes looking for him, saying, if you were here, he would not have died. And for the surrounding context, whether it was because of Mary, whether it was because of Martha, because of their grieving of, over Jesus, or whether or the people who are mourning over Lazarus' deaths, deaths with their sisters, or whether it's the fact that he lost a dear friend, or the combination of all the above, Jesus wept. You know, we could have easily said, Jesus knew he was going to have time with Lazarus and say, all right, it's all cool. You guys don't have to worry. They still wept. It's a natural reality of life that takes place. He grieves on the pending destruction as he comes into Jerusalem just before he's going to be going to the cross, right? He's a week away. And he looks over the city and it causes him to cry. He is grieved over the fact that this city at some point, the city that he, he grew up coming to every year for the Passover feast, where he would have spent a good portion of his time, even though he lives a good 70, 80 miles north of here, it was his heritage. And he knows it's going to be destroyed. And he grieves over that future loss of something so dear to him. Or you can look at a passage like him being in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he knows why he's going to this garden because he is grieved. And he, in fact, tells his disciples in Matthew 26, verses 36 and 38. He tells his disciples, I am with heavy grief. Come support me as I grieve and as I pray. These are multiple moments of our Savior where he grieves. There's no doubt in my mind that Jesus knew the end game. He knew the victory that he was going to have. He knew the joy that would cross on the other side of the cross. He knew it and still grieved. That's the Son of Man we're talking about. The one who came down from heaven and lived and suffered among us in every way.
that we could imagine. That's our Savior who grieves for us and even because of us. But he grieved nonetheless knowing that he would have victory on the other side of that resurrection. And so we see that not only does he grieve on these occasions, we see that it's not just simply that we're going to grieve. The, the reality is not that we will grieve, but how we grieve. And so Jesse read for us in 1 Thessalonians 4, and I want to I read the entirety of that passage, and then we're going to close with, with the sermon on, on that final point that we're going to look at on the next slide. And I want you to read the text here in, in light of the whole context, all right? So open your Bibles. We're going to read 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and I want you to see the beauty of what Paul is getting at. Paul says to the church at Thessalonica, Finally, brethren, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more, just as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God. For you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual morality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passion and lust, like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter because the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also forewarned you and testified for God did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God, who has also given us his Holy Spirit. What he is saying is God called us to live a sanctified life. Don't live like the world, like those Gentiles. Live like God, who is holy. And when you live like him, you'll love your brother, not defraud him. You'll keep your vessel pure not defile it. And then he goes on saying in verse 9, but concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. And indeed you do so toward all brethren in all and throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more that you also aspire to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, to work with your own hands, as we commanded you that you may walk properly toward those who are outside and that you may lack nothing. And so I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who fall asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. He's not saying you don't grieve. He says, just don't grieve like the Gentiles. We grieve. 
but we grieve well because we grieve with hope. And therein lies the message for us today. Grieving with hope. It is why you can have this amazing um, dichotomy, if not spectrum of emotions at a funeral service. That in, in one heartbeat, you are heartbroken, torn up, and yet smiling? How is that even possible without hope? That's possible for people to have this idea that I cannot stand the reality of being separated from you in this earthly flesh that I live in. Because that's all I've experienced. But I know I have the hope that one day, because I walk with God and you've been walking with God, that we will be together again. It's what allows me to grieve with this concept of hope. It's a beautiful thing. I don't know if it's, if it's our culture that, that kind of intertwines with a quote-unquote Christian culture, but it is my point of view that in our culture, we don't want to experience pain, right? You got a boo-boo? Get some medicine, right? If you, you, can su- if you don't have to suffer through it, right? At nighttime, you take your antacids, you take your Tylenol, you take your ibuprofen, you got all the whole slew of pharmaceuticals. Right? We don't want pain. I think we need more pain in some cases. It allows us to rejoice on the other side of that pain. The true beauty of healing. The true beauty of resurrection. The true beauty of flourishing in life. Right? It's like the, if, you, if you've only had love, if you've never known the idea of hatred... You can even appreciate love so much more. I mean, that seems ridiculous for some people. I'm going, no, no, we don't want any of the hatred. We want any of the bad stuff. But in reality, the bad stuff lets us know how good the good stuff can really be. I think it's the reason why there are so many upside-down blessings. Upside-down as far as the world is concerned. But blessings that we have that are in Christ. And that's what we see here. And so Christians aren't necessarily the happiest people in the world, right? We were reading last week in Hebrews 12, verses 32 following. Remember how all these faithful individuals were sawn in half, right? Imprisoned, given to lions. And all the other stories that we can read of in Hebrews 11. And the burdens that they had, I think it was supposed to be Hebrews 11, 32 following, not chapter 12, excuse me. But Christians aren't going to be happy about going through those experiences. But yet they went through them with great conviction, knowing that even if we go through these sorrowful moments of life, we know what we have on the other side, and that is this hope for future resurrected bodies. And that's exactly what Paul is saying in 1 Thessalonians Thessalonians chapter 4. We don't grieve without hope we grieve with hope through hope because of the hope we grieve well and so i i hope that you can let those emotions go i think that's the reason why we have a heartfelt service today when you have emotions um, on the high end on the low end we're there for each other we bond closer together with one another through these moments 
It's moments like this past Wednesday that just makes me love Zach even more because we can grieve together. And so, brethren, I pray that whatever trials you may end up, whether it's situations within our congregation, within your personal family life, within our community here in Franklin, within Middle Tennessee, whether they be things that are, you know, minimal to us but big to someone else, we grieve with them. Or if it's with us, they can grieve with us. Knowing, and just even as David mentions, David's gone through his trials, that we have victory waiting for us that lets us know we can go well through the trials in the midst of what would otherwise be great, great heartache. So I pray that, that this lesson helps you when whatever grief that you are experiencing because of your personal circumstances or because of what's been going on in our community here, I pray that you grieve well, biblically well, if you will. So we're gonna have a song of invitation in just a, just a few seconds. I want you to know that if you are here this morning, know this, Jesus went to the cross through great grieving. Those passages I read are just before the cross, from John 11 through uh, Lazarus when he was in Beth Bethany, two miles west or east, I should say, all the way coming into the Jerusalem. And while in Jerusalem, while he was in the garden, ready to die for our sins, he grieved for you. Mourn your sins. Mourn them. But know there's hope because Jesus rose from the dead. And he gives you that hope that you will one day rise again to walk in newness of life. Right? Whether it is that you um, die and go on to meet him at some other point, or if you're alive when he does return, you will meet him. And you will have that victory that is in Jesus Christ. So your invitation is to come and die with him and be raised to walk in newness of life if you believe him to be the Christ, the Son of God willing to turn away from your way of living to his good way of living. That's the idea of repentance, right? So if confessing him as the Christ, repent and walk in newness of life, do so. And he will reward you by his gracious gift of everlasting life. Brethren, if you need prayers, take advantage of this time as together we stand and sing.